Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to be able to worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray, God, that you would now give us the grace to be able to learn from you and know you. Lord, we ask that your presence would be with us, your power would be on us, your grace would shower us. God, give us the focus of mind to be able to teach your word and be more like you. And now, God, allow things to just fall to the wayside. Jesus, we do pray that for those who are still making their way here, Lord, we do pray for their traveling mercies. Now, Lord, for those of us in the building, for those of us online, we ask that you would settle our hearts, focus our attention on you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you guys for being here. So we have been in this series. This is the last Sunday in this series, and we just praise God for you being here. In the last two weeks, what we've been having a chance to do is talk about forgiveness as an overall framework. The first Sunday on Easter, we talked about forgiveness, and we talked about it in a way where we were talking about the forgiveness that comes from Jesus. Secondly, we talked about our ability to forgive others. That was what we talked about last week. In talking about it last week, uh, we were not able to record the uh, sermon but we're gonna be re-recording it. We, we have captured every sermon for the last nine years, and that was the only sermon we haven't captured, and it was our most requested sermon, so there's that. Um, and so today we're gonna to talk about forgiveness as a lifestyle. Forgiveness as a lifestyle. In order to think about this sermon, um, you're gonna to have to journey with us because part of this journey is your ability to say to yourself, I don't want to live like I see other people living. In other words, you're going to have to agree that you need the forgiveness that comes from God and that you need to start forgiving others. If you don't already agree with those two big pillars, this message probably won't apply to you as well. So maybe you want to go back and listen to those. But here, I want to take you on this journey of having you become the kind of person that operates with the power of forgiveness on a daily basis basis, as a lifestyle, making it a part of who you are. We live in a culture that loves to be petty. Um, we, we live in a culture that is essentially, uh, particularly on the internet, the internet is like a Roman Colosseum where there are teams and we are in the audience rooting for our team and we want, we are bloodthirsty that our team wins no matter what it was. And so we want them to be owned, we want them to be embarrassed, we want them to be destroyed. And here we are in the Colosseum rooting on our team. We are a culture of pettiness and revenge. We are an unforgiving culture. We are radically, deeply intent on getting back at people who have hurt us. So if that's the life you wanna live, you're gonna be like everybody else because our culture lives to be petty. But if you're listening to this message and you've heard the other messages, maybe you've said, Lord, I don't want to be in that Colosseum. 
I don't want to be in the audience rooting on the pain of others. Maybe you've decided you don't want to be petty, but one of the things that we can do is we know that pettiness is not something to do as a Christian. So you look fashionable as a Christian, so you don't look petty, but you perform religiously. You look kind. You look forgiving. You, you look like you're loving. You pretend. And so if we're not petty, sometimes we have this performative religiosity. But hopefully you've decided not to wear the mask and not to perform. But if you're not going to be petty, if you're not going to perform, then you are asking God to help you to have the power of forgiveness. The power of forgiveness is understood in Matthew 18, where Jesus says, forgive your brother from your heart, to actually mean it. We talked about forgiveness as being the ability to cancel a debt or an offense that you have with someone else, that you don't hold on to it. And in so doing, you realize that you could potentially go into a relationship with this person, but that's not the definition of forgiveness. The definition of forgiveness is canceling the debt. You don't hold the debt over the person anymore because God does not hold his debt over you anymore. Amen? What, what we've said is that forgiveness is not supernatural. I'm sorry, forgiveness is supernatural. Forgiveness, <laughs> forgiveness is, isn't nice. It's supernatural, right? I'm not asking you to be nice people. There are people who don't know God that are very nice. No, we're not being nice. We're being supernatural. We are begging God for his power to treat people like he treated us. That's supernatural, not just nice. What we've also said is that forgiveness is not reconciliation. Um, you should never reconcile with someone who is not wanting to take accountability for how they've hurt you. In addition to that, you should never reconcile with someone who wants to highlight everything they've done for you ever in their life, but never talk about how they have wounded you. You never reconcile with a person like that, but you can always forgive broken people. Yeah. Lastly, what we've said is if you've been forgiven much, you'll forgive much. Luke 747, we talked about the woman who had many sins, and he says, Jesus says about her, uh, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. If you're forgiven much, you'll, be, you'll forgive much. If you believe God has done great things in forgiving you, you will be a forgiving person. If you think your offense to God is very little, you'll, little, you'll be a very little forgiving person. When you are forgiven much, you forgive much. Josh, can we get the uh, time there? Because if I don't have it, I will go over in the name of Jesus. <laughs> So, so hopefully um, you've, you've agreed to this. You've said, I don't want to be petty. I don't want to perform. I want to live with the power of forgiveness. I get what you're saying. I agree. And after the sermon uh, yesterday or last Sunday, people came up to me and they said, I agree with this. this I, I theologically agree with this. I sociologically agree with this. I think this would be a better society if this happened. I agree with this. That, that's true. These are true statements. 
But you can forgive someone in a moment, yet deal with it still on a daily basis. Public forgiveness is often a one-time conversation, but private forgiveness is oftentimes a lifetime dialogue with God. So you cannot think of forgiveness as a one-time act, as if I made it, I've crossed the barrier of forgiveness. In fact, we could say that forgiveness is a muscle to be trained, not just a milestone to be passed. That you are one day just sitting there in the land of forgiveness, You've blessed people. You've said, I am a forgiving person. Here I am. And you're frolicking in the land of forgiveness, just blessing people. And you're just thinking about people who have hurt you. And like, oh, no, I've forgiven them. No, 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 they don't, that doesn't bother me anymore. And all of a sudden, you're scrolling through social media, and you see that person saying something that you disagree with. And all of a sudden, your mental patterns jump right back into five years ago when they hurt you. You are triggered by unforgiveness. If you decide to be a forgiving person, not only will you be triggered by unforgiving thoughts about other people, but God will present to you someone who is going to be a trial, who's going to be hard to forgive. Amen. Amen. So you will either have a trial of a person who is difficult for you to forgive, or you will be triggered by unforgiving thoughts. Therefore, we need to have, we need to see forgiveness not as a one-time act, but as a lifetime a way of thinking, and a way of living. In order for us to do that, really, forgiveness has to be a core tenet in our prayer life. It's got to be the way that we pray. It's got to be the way that we think, the way that we dialogue with God. One of the beautiful things about Jesus is people were blown away, not just by his miracles, but by the way he prayed. One of the things you look at in the scriptures is when Jesus performed the feeding of the 5,000, the disciples never said, can you teach me how to feed 5,000? When Jesus walked on the water, even though Peter attempted it, they did not say, can you teach me how to walk on water? They did not say, can you teach me how to turn water into wine? But they did say, can you teach me how you pray? Because they knew that the source of his power weren't in his miracles, but it was in his relationship with God. And so in many ways, what the disciples asked is what we need to ask. God, teach us how to pray so we can operate in your power, because if I don't have your power, I'm not going to forgive anyone. So human power can forgive a person in a day. But if you want to forgive a person as a lifestyle, you need the power of God. In order to access that, it really is about having a certain kind of prayer life. Jesus teaches us in Matthew 6, 9, he says, pray like this then, after they asked him to teach them how to pray. Jesus would say in this prayer, our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. When Jesus says that initially, the first thing he starts with is not a request. The first thing he starts with is praising God as a close intimate father. He tells God, essentially, you and I are intimate. We are close. In that intimacy, he could have started and said he was Lord and creator, but he started off saying we are close. In addition to that, in 6-9, he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your reputation, your character. God, you are holy and transcendent, and I am in awe and 
I have a reverential treatment about who you are. So we are, I am intimate with you, but I also know that you're transcendent. I'm intimate with someone powerful. That's how he starts off teaching us how to pray. And so in verse 10, Jesus would say, here's how to pray. Say this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And here, therefore, he acknowledges, Jesus, you're a king, you have a kingdom, and when he talks about his kingdom, he's talking about his personal rule, a way of doing things, a life and a lifestyle that he has intended on earth as it is in heaven. And in heaven, relationships operate with full harmony. And he is asking, saying, if it comes down to my kingdom, I will live in pettiness and performance, but your kingdom come, your will be done. Another way he's saying is your kingdom before my kingdom, your agenda before my agenda, your will before my will. And when you live with that kind of mentality, you are first saying, I have access to a powerful king and I am desiring his agenda to be a part of my life. That's how you start your prayer life off. We're not even talking about forgiveness yet. We're talking about a way of thinking about Jesus, a way of thinking about your relationship with him and thinking about what I have access to. Again, what I'm trying to tell you is if you try to do human forgiveness from your heart, you will not have enough power to live that way. So you need the power of forgiveness because you are tapped into the king's resources. And you are seeking him. So I'm intimate with the Holy Father. I want his will to be done. So what he says in verse 11 then is what we tend to run to, which is give us this day our daily bread. We want to just get to requests. But it's important. Jesus actually is teaching them, I don't want to start with requests because I got to know who I'm talking to first. I also need to realize he has things bigger than what I want in life. He has a kingdom agenda. So he says, after all that, give us this day our daily bread. The imagery there is of the Israelites in the wilderness, how they would, God would give them manna day by day so that they might be dependent on him day by day. It's really saying I'm totally dependent on you, God. I need you for my daily bread and my everyday sustenance. So after thinking about who we have access to and thinking about his agenda, thinking about how I'm totally dependent on him, I want to just make a note. Jesus, is not, Jesus did not intend for this to be a prayer we recite. He meant it to be a pattern and a way of thinking. It's like ingredients in a meal. These are just certain elements you need. So if you just pray for forgiveness, but you don't understand your intimacy, you don't understand his holiness, you don't understand his kingdom, you'll miss the full portion of what God is trying to do in your life and in your mind. And so he's trying to give that picture to them. And so here, finally, he says in verse 12, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Who does he start with? Forgiving others? No, forgive me. God, let's talk about me and you. Before I talk about all these people in my head, let's talk about me and you. 
Now, he's not talking about the forgiveness of sins that gets us into a relationship. He's talking about the forgiveness of sins that hold back our intimacy with him. The kind of forgiveness of sins that would allow me to confess to him. I have done offensive things to God in my past. I have done offensive things to God this week. I have done offensive things to God today. And I need to walk in the power of forgiveness over my life. I must be sure and certain I not only understand forgiveness, I walk in forgiveness as a lifestyle. Jesus, as we mentioned before in our first sermon, Jesus in the, uh, in the upper room takes bread and wine in verse 28 of Matthew 26, he says, this is the blood of my covenant, which is poured out for the forgiveness of sins. And then he takes wine and he says, drink it. Now, why in the world would Jesus take some wine, put it in a cup, say, this is my blood and say, now drink it? Because that's how deep he wanted you to feel forgiveness. As the wine trickles down and you drink it and you feel the sustenance of the wine and you feel the connectedness to the wine and you say, mm, that was good and that's in my body. He wanted you to feel forgiveness in the same way that you would hold on to it and receive forgiveness. The believers in the, in the early church would do co uh, communion every time they got together. That tells us how deeply we need to be reminded, not just of that we are theologically forgiven, but that we are intimately forgiven. Why does he want us to understand forgiveness? Because he's always wanting to restore intimacy. He doesn't want you to hold back anything from intimacy with him. So he makes up a way for us to be reminded by taking wine and saying it's blood and saying drink it. Okay, that's how close we are. Receive the forgiveness of God. If you are not receiving the forgiveness of God, you are walking around in guilt and shame every day. And so maybe you come to church, maybe you read your Bible, but you are trying to work off something that Jesus already did a work for. His blood covers your sin. And in covering your sin, you must receive the forgiveness of God. Now, what does he then move to? He says, forgive us Forgive us our debt. Now, what's the next word say? What's the next word say? As we also. In many ways, what Jesus is saying is, to the degree that you receive forgiveness, it's also the degree that you will be able to distribute forgiveness. And I just want to say this. This is, this is a commercial break. This is totally for free. If you walk in guilt, you'll always hold grudges. The people who walk in the most shame are the people who hold people the most to the offenses. If you walk in guilt, you'll hold people in grudges because you don't feel free, so you can't let other people feel free. That's, so, so I'm saying the reason why you struggle with forgiveness distributed is oftentimes because you struggle with forgiveness received. So what he says is, and so, and I just want to say that word to you today. Some of you think the cross is too small for your issues. Some of you think the cross is too small for your issues. 
Some of you think the blood is powerful, but not for this. The blood can, can, can cleanse my sins, but this sin right here is too much. And so because you have not received the wine, drank it and received it, you can't let other people free. And I want to tell you this morning, receive the forgiveness of God. The cross is big and the blood is powerful. It's powerful. It's so powerful. The person that wrote 13 letters in the New Testament was an assassin. He was a terrorist. There's so many people that we could have recruited to do this. But I believe that he wanted to get the worst to teach how good the gospel is. So the gospel is a transformative power in our lives. He does not recruit into the kingdom the nice ones. He recruits the broken, the weak, those who are living in shame. He's recruiting those. If you feel drawn to God, it is because you know that you know that you know that you're a sinner. The people who have the hardest time coming to Jesus are the most moral ones because they cannot admit that they're broken. I ask people, can I pray for them? I'm like, I can't think of nothing to pray about. Really? <laughs> I, I can think of a lot of stuff to pray for. Then there's people who are like, I got it. How, how much time you got? The reality is, if you want to start forgiving people, start with you and Jesus and receive the mighty forgiveness of God. When I, um, I moved to, um, I moved to a, ch I moved uh, to a state, I'm trying to not tell who this person is. I moved to a state. Um, and uh, long story short, I, I had an issue with someone and um, I was very offended by their behavior and I was very hurt uh, by them. I was, I was about 26 years old, it's about 20 years ago. And it was hard for me to let go, couldn't let go. And um, one day I was driving to work and I was picking them apart in my mind. I mean, I mean, just, I was giving them the business in my brain, just up and down and just, they ain't nothing but of this and that and I can't believe them and all this. And I'm telling you right now, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you're right. Now what? And I, I remember I almost wanted to stop the car. Because I was like, I'm, I'm in my head, I'm like, what does that mean? It's like, no, 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 you, all the things, all the flaws you see in them are true. Now what? Do you think I redeemed you so that you could pick people off in your brain? I change you so that you can be in the army of forgiveness. We are, the, we are an army of forgiven people that forgive people. We are not an army of petty people that pick people apart in our minds. And do you know that's the natural way of thinking? 
That's a natural way of living. Do you really want to know what people think on your job? Absolutely not. It, it is a war zone in there. No, we are the different people. We are the forgiven people that forgive people. I will never forget that. And it was as if, this, it was as if God was saying, do you want a gold medal for seeing the weaknesses of that person? Do you want me to applaud that you were able to detail all their sins? The power that he has given us is not to be able to examine the sins of others. We are the kind of people that bless, that serve. We're the kind of people that give grace to others because we have received such great grace. So Jesus says this is something that we receive and distribute, and first we must receive it, then we distribute it. And for that person, I just had to keep rehearsing that in my brain that I am here to love this person. The scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 and 4, for though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power. Now, this is what it says, to destroy strongholds. Unforgiveness is a stronghold in us, and it's a stronghold in society. It's the way our culture works. We have a coliseum of pettiness. And what we have mistaken is we think, I just need to forgive people. Yeah, the pastor preached that, and I need to start forgiving people. No, 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 no. We must be an army of forgiving people that dismantle unforgiveness in society. You see, the, the imagery of a stronghold, oftentimes when you think of a stronghold, we think um, a problem I have personally. But a stronghold, actually, the imagery is meant to be of a war. A stronghold was actually like a fortress. And, and on this fortress, you would have an army behind that fortress throwing down darts to another opposing army. And so it's as if the, 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 the enemy is throwing these unforgiving thoughts at us. And what does the Bible say? It says we destroy strongholds. We actually attack the stronghold. And in attacking the stronghold, we dismantle unforgiveness in society. It not only says that we attack unforgiveness as a concept in our homes, on our jobs, and within us, but we, look what it says in verse 5, we destroy Paul tries to make it plain. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to do this, to obey Christ. What Paul is trying to, to get at is um, when the Bible talks about a stronghold, it's talking about a way of thinking, not only in you, but in society. But, but he says we have to take the thought captive. The word there means to control. It means to bring into submission. And he says, so that it might obey Christ. 
You know, one of the things that we need to understand is that jail was never meant to be and should have never meant to be a place just to put people away. It should always have meant to be a place to rehabilitate people better for society. So that they come out chained so that they don't do what they were doing before. The Bible says here, as unforgiving thoughts come to you, we capture them and we turn them into obedient thoughts. We rehabilitate the thought that was in me so that I might see people differently. The truth of the matter is, for every trial and for every time you are triggered, God wants you to take that thought and bring it into submission to Christ. Because underneath that thought is something beautiful, something God has intended. There is something God is trying to teach you in that trial. There is something God is trying to teach you when you are triggered mentally. And he wants it to be in obedience to Christ. When we live in a world of forgiveness, and not only in us, but being distributed among us, we learn how to love people, and we transform society around us. Some of you grew up in unforgiving homes. Some of you have unforgiving friends. We can live in an unforgiving church. We can be in an unforgiving city. God has the forgiven people to be different because the forgiven people are meant to be an army of forgiving people who are unleashed and we change homes and we change jobs and we change societies because we are forgiving people, we are a loving people. Let me just say, when you forgive someone, it doesn't mean you're not hurt anymore. It means you're offering up that space for healing, to tell God that you need him to speak into the matter. But it's also acknowledging, I am willing to put this person up before you. I'm willing to have you, God, deal with this person so I can love this person in a way you can't, I can't. Years ago, um, there was a family that was deciding on a Sunday after church to go to brunch. And they decided at brunch, they would go to this little depot, this little restaurant. And so they walked in there with their three kids, little Tegan, little Wyndham, little Brocky. They sat there and they ate. And while they sat there and ate, all of a sudden, a woman who was trying to take her own life drove into the restaurant. The restaurant didn't have any windows on it. So think about this. They were sitting there eating and had no idea what was about to happen. The car came through the front two steps, right through the front door, knocking the family over. There you have a picture of the car going through the depot. That one moment, while they were sitting there after church, would forever change their lives. 
the Furlack family would talk about how this one moment was a dynamic moment for them. Little Tegan there on the horse on the swing and her mom, little Tegan was four at the time. She would lose her life in that moment. Just a week before, little Tegan asked Jesus into her heart. She said, I want little Brocky to have Jesus too, talking about her little brother. Little Tegan would lose her life. Little Wyndham, who was younger than Tegan, she was in a car seat at the time. Wyndham would go on to have brain injuries that would leave her like a child the rest of her life. This was 20-some years ago, but she still has to operate like a child. Her mother would talk about how she has to care for her, and she only had a, about a year of seeing her in her personality. But she would now have to care for little Wyndham her whole life. Little Brocky. Little Brocky would struggle with sitting at a table the rest of his life because he remembers it was sitting at a table his life changed. And the woman that did it did not have a scratch on her. It would be the time of her sentencing and the family would come and they would ask, what, what do you want to tell her? What do you want to give her? And they said, we want to offer her forgiveness and we want to give her hope because we don't want to just see her in jail. And they wanted her in jail. We want to see her in heaven. And they decided we will not hold on to this, but we will bless them. And what would happen in their home? What happens when you grow up in a home of a family that has had a devastating incident happen to them? A husband and a wife constantly struggling with the fact that they've lost their little daughter. And now they have to take care of their other daughter. And little Brocky, what they said about Brocky, little Brocky, when he would sit at the table, they'd have to show him movies because he couldn't think, he couldn't sit in reality. He'd have to take away reality because sitting at a table was too hard for him. But this family processed their grief, lived in forgiveness. And what would be the fruit of forgiveness? Little Brocky would go on and all those movies he watched when he was sitting at that table, he would go on to want to produce movies. Amen. Little Brocky would go on and he would say in an interview, he would say, Brock, his name is Brock now, Brock, what do you feel towards that woman? He said, well, it's a struggle and everything changed. But he said, I grew up in a home where my parents were processing this. And then he quoted Brian Stevenson and he said this, we're all more than the worst thing we've ever done. And because little Brocky grew up in a home of a family that forgave, he now got the fruit of forgiveness.
And little Brocky would move to Brooklyn one day, and he'd be known as Brock, and he would join a church. Brock, would you stand up? Thank you, Brock. And I don't believe, I believe that as great as Brock is, I believe if his parents taught him to be unforgiving, he would be unforgiving. But I believe his parents taught him how to love. And I believe his love flows from that. That's who we are. We're the forgiven people that forgive people. And I pray that God would radically change your heart if you're living in pettiness. I pray that God would radically change your heart if you're holding on to a grudge. It begins with you and him, not the person. It begins with you and him. And that Furlack family knew that God had done great things in their life. And on the other side of forgiveness is the fruit of a family now that is forgiving people. We hope today's message was encouraging to you. We would love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. If this message was impactful to you today, please send us an email, info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Our handles on our social media platforms is bridgechurchnyc. Our website is bridgechurchnyc.com. If you are in the New York City area, we would love to see you on a Sunday. Our services on Sundays are at 11 a.m. And the address is 345 Adams Street in downtown Brooklyn. Thanks for listening to our podcast today, and we hope to see you soon.